Hello and welcome to Blue Box, the unofficial Doctor Companion podcast where we try and log everything and anything from across the universe. I'm Riley. And I'm Matthew. Welcome to the show. Today, I think we're talking about the 60th anniversary specials. We're talk- we are. Uh, I'll tell you, we're going to talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, three specials that were released for the 60th anniversary. That's how that works. November. Now, we're a bit late to this, but you know. Yeah, just a touch. Things take time. So, yeah, we're going to talk about all three, all three specials, I think. Just go through them all, overall thoughts. But first, I want to talk about our expectations that we had before they came out. Yeah. Because I don't know if it's the same for you, but for me, Going into these, I, I can expected them to be one cohesive story, like three parts of the same story. Especially with the way that like the trailers were marketed, it always kind of felt like this is part one, part two, and part three of the same story. So when you hit, you know, Wild Blue Yonder, you're like, "Where's okay?" Mm-hmm. And it's just you know, it's standalone things. You know, I kind of a bit caught, caught off guard. Yeah, I think we kind of because an anniversary only comes along. Every we do it every ten years roughly. We do. I mean, we did a twenty fifth for some reason. Don't know why that happened, but there you go. Um, but if you think about every anniversary we had, it's the three doctors. So they kind of set a precedent with the three doctors of being. This is what we do. We do multi doctor stories. Yeah. So twentieth, you get the five doctors. Thirtieth, it's not on, so you get dimensions in time. Yeah, dimensions yeah, yeah, in yeah. time. Yeah. Again, multi doctor, but like a spoof. Scream of the Shalka. Is that kind of a fortieth thing? Yeah, it's a reboot fortieth thing. They also had the uh like the Doctor Who night yeah, thing the and all Baker. that kind of stuff. So that's probably the only one. But then fiftieth, you get one big multi-doctor story. So we've kind of not had anything but big one story, basically multi-doctor things. Mm. And so that's what everyone expected. And then you're right, they did market it. I don't know if I mean they always made it clear it was three episodes and they all had different names, but you did sort of you you when you cut intercut them with each other, yeah. you assume they're part of the same story. But personally, we did we once we got the kind of rough plot synopses out, we knew that we were not necessarily all in the same place. Like we have one in the present day, one's sort of in the present day, but they're with unit rather than the, the familial stuff, and then one we knew nothing about other than it was on a spaceship. And Matt Smith was definitely gonna be and in Matt it. Smith was in it, Susan was in it, you know, Peter obviously Pally was Peter, Peter Paldi was in it because he loves being in Doctor Who as we've all uh, read recently. Um but I don't know. Personally, I think the idea of doing something different, I was looking forward to that. I like that. I like the fact that it's not a multi-doctor story for an anniversary. Yeah. Because every anniversary, as you say, is here's the third doctor and the second doctor and the first, but he's only in it for like five seconds. Don't worry on about it. TV. <laughs> but like, you know, every other like multi-doctor story or anniversary special is a multi-doctor story. And I think it's it's very nice to see something different. Although we are getting David Tennant back and yeah. Catherine Tate, which is kind of a nostalgia pull. Instead of a, an anniversary special, it kind of feels like a legacy sequel. Yeah, I mean, there's only only so many things you can do with a multi-doctor story. Yeah. And, and I think they have become saturated. If you think about, you know, even like after the 20th, I think that was the last time that a multi-doctor story felt kind of, I don't know... Like, cause you get the, you get no, n- there were no multi-doctor stories for the first 20 years other than the two anniversary story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it. 
And then you've got the two doctors and suddenly it's like, oh, well, they're here all the time now. And then you get to the reboot and you're like, okay, we're back to it just being one doctor. Everything's fine. And then you get the 50th and then Moffat goes off the rails and he's doing twice upon a time. Then you get... Yeah. Uh, Jody and we have Power of the Doctor which was just the last episode before these we've and got Power Joel of the Martin Doctor well. and Joe Martin and there's all sorts of Doctors showing up there's loads of stuff so yeah I think the idea of a multi-Doctor became kind of oversaturated one thing I want to say about expectations going into this is um, people people were kind of decrying that oh it's just a 2008 anniversary you know it's like it's 2008 nostalgia david tennant Catherine tate they're in london it's all the sort of 2080 rtd stuff but that's bullshit that's obviously bullshit i mean the leads are that but people and people pointed this out but i just wanted to say that i i definitely agree with it you know you have a 70s comic villain coming back for one episode you have a 60s villain that hasn't been seen since 1964 coming back for one episode you have well, other shit. I've forgotten what the other stuff was. There's like, what was the '80s thing? There was something from the '80s. Oh, Mel. Yeah. <laughs> you have you have Mel coming back from the '80s. You have Kate from you know kind of from the Moffat era and from the the Whitaker era. Mm-hmm. You have. It's nice that she stuck around for like ten years. She was there. She was yeah. Kind of introduced around the fiftieth, and then has stayed to the sixtieth. It's a really nice bit of continuity. I think. I think it's it's unit. Being the little sort of continuity thing that goes that fo- that goes through and, and continues and is always the same is quite nice. Yeah. Especially when that was kind of true of classic Who as well. Yeah, it was always there. Even the yeah. Brigadier, like he came, he came back. I mean, he comes back and then you get Brigadier and Barbera, and it always feels like it's the same unit. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think people were so kind of annoyed when Chibnall sort of fucked it. Yeah. Sorry. For a joke, basically, yeah. because Brexit. because they were like, you know, a unit's not that important, and I don't think doctor who should be like oh military we love the military but it was a nice like running through line thread and especially when unit had kind of become more scientific yeah, recently and, and Moffat was kind of trying to move it towards that and then he did a whole thing about how they backslid into being war and then they were like Wah. and oh my god I, let's not talk about the capaldi war speech let's just not mm. but i don't know I, I do i like unit i like it, it, it provides a good like amount of stories as well like a good um like just opportunity to do, oh, here's a little invasion, you know, and then you have unit and it, it solves a lot of problems. You're like, how does nobody care about this? Why does nobody have, have done anything? Like they have done. There's tortured as well. But they're gone. You know, Sarah Jane and crew, they're doing their own stuff. So it's, it's really just unit that, that you've got left. It's, it's just an opportunity to do some nice world building and to get into a story quickly. I think that's what Moffat used it for quite often. You don't have to take the Doctor and Companion, have them arrive, not know what's going on, then they turn on the news and they watch the news and then they go, oh right, this is happening. They have to get in. How do they get in? You just, they show up and Unit have got their TARDIS detector and they show up right away yeah. and they're like, here's what's happening. Here's where we are. I've caught you up. Here's all the tools that you need. Now you can do the story and we don't have to deal with the, the oh, how did they, you know, how did they get to there and how did they know about this and how did they, you know. So I yeah. think that was good we've we've sort of got off 60th expectations but um i i just think you know going into it people were decrying oh this is not an ad but i think it was a very good you don't have to do a multi-doctor story to do an anniversary of doctor (laughs) who but did you just did you think it was going to be good beyond beyond thinking you know uh what's the structure of it and and the questions did what what was your feeling seeing trailers is it going to be good does the story look good i was i was very excited i mean the star beast you know, like I, I read the comic ages ago. I don't know why, but I, it was always in my head. I loved the, I loved the mute from before it was, you know, popular. I was there first. 
I always, I always liked, you know, that story, and I was very excited to see that. But I kind of thought, you know, we have the toy maker here. We have the 60th anniversary specials. You got three episodes. I kind of thought that it would have explained and tied together the reasons, you know, that David was back. I thought maybe like the toy maker was pulling the strings. I thought that they were all going to be connected. That one would lead into the other. Even if it was, you know, you had the Star Beast, and then at the end of that, you had an, an end credit scene where the toy maker, you know, it was just he was in a big space and he was pulling the strings. And like, if that was the only scene that you had in the Star Beast, it would have just made so much sense to just have it all tied together. Because, you know, skipping ahead again, but I think that's what these specials missed. It was just that that through line, that thread that just, I did like them, but it, it just, it missed on that last thread. Yeah, I think trying to get into Russell's head a bit, I think, we're, I guess we're, we've left expectations now, which is starting to reveal. But I think trying to get into Russell's head, I think what he was thinking was that my through line and my big mystery is why is the Doctor's face come back? Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing that comes up repeatedly. It's why did the face come back? We get an episode where someone takes the Doctor's face and you know he has to stare at the face and go, oh, well, what the, what's happening here? You know. But I think that that didn't land because of the way that that ended. Yeah. Why did this face come back? because it just kind of did it's not necessarily yeah but we'll get to that let's not we're jumping ahead we're jumping ahead but you know i think that's what in his head i think that's what he thought the through line was Mm -hmm. and it's just that that through line didn't succeed and i think if that had succeeded then that would have been a fine through line yeah but i think the six but but weirdly i think what would have made that through line better is if that the answer was something to do with the time maker which i guess is what you just said so he was he was almost there but he just he just I don't know, yeah. I think if it was manipulated by the toy maker, he's like, we're going to play a game, you know? Yeah. That was Russian. That was not even close to German. We are going to play a game. <laughs> Let's not do it. Let's not do accents. <laughs> but yeah, I think if, if it was something like that, the entire specials would have, it would have clicked more with me personally. Um, but I'm glad that we're kind of like in some sort of agreement. Uh, well, speaking of, let's get on. Let's do it. Let's do it episode by episode. Okay. Let's start with the Star Beast. I suppose the biggest thing about the Star Beast is the fact that it's an adaptation yeah. of a comic book. Have Which you I've not read. You've not read that. You've not read it. Um, I, I have it right there. <laughs> the adaptation of a comic book that's oddly very popular, um, which I don't understand because even for me, it, it's popular. Like I read it as. You know, like maybe start of like high school. I don't know. I had that free comic. It's just website. one of those things you could have come across. Yeah, yeah. I came across it. And I, I never just, heard of it. I to be honest, I've absolutely no. I'd never heard of it prior to this. It's so weird. I'm not a huge comic reader though. So you having read it then, overall, how do you view this as a as an adaptation? Do you think it takes the best bits? Yeah, I think it's fairly like fairly faithful on the whole. I mean, it takes all like the main story beats and it translates them really, really well. There's only like a couple things that I'm like, man, I'm gutted that didn't make it into the actual episode. Because there's a scene in the comic book where it shows the Meep's home planet and they sing a little song about beheading people and it's the fu- like it's genuinely it's beautiful. And it, I was so gutted that we didn't just get a wee cut wet during that trial scene. Again, I understand that it probably would have cut like stopped the pacing or whatever. Mm. But man, if there is like if there is a deleted scene, I need to see it. I think if the I like I like that idea. I can see that it sort of it's like a cutaway gag in my head. The only problem is you'd have to like you'd have to reveal the meat was evil first, and well, then yeah. still do the comedy gag. Whereas they made the evil to like I think because from the 
the panels I've seen of the comic. Like the Meep's evilness seems a bit like a gag. Like it's sort of funny. Mm-hmm. And it is still funny in the show, but I don't think it's as like much of a gag. It's like when he turns evil, yeah, it's, it's a bit more serious. Yeah, more it's like, all well, right, the the funny little thing is the it was funny when he was cute, and now it's not funny when he's like a grumpy guy. I just love that scene. Like every time I think about it, I, it just brings a smile. I'm like, why are the meats beheading little guys? <laughs> does, I love yeah, it. That, that does sound. Fun. I could imagine that colleague. I thought it does sound fun. But yeah, I think as an adaptation, it's very very good. The only problem is something that I'm going to come back to with all of these specials. It's only it's not even a full hour long. And it needs longer. The pacing is wild. It like it starts is it's amazing. See just pulling back. You've got competent direction again. You know you pull back. You can see a full shot of David Tennant. The direction wise, since you brought up direction, I think I it's competently directed. I think it mm. maybe doesn't have. It's not Talia's best work. I mean, how can you be him? I know. I think. I think it's just not the script. It's, I, I find it incredibly weird that that's the script that they gave her. Yeah. Because I think she excel. Like all the episodes she excelled in, I think that people really love are sort of small cast, sort of slightly more personal stakes. Uh, you know, twice one time, heaven sent. Like I think she did the two, the what series eight and Definitely. ten. F- like series 10 finale like the series 8 and the series 9 mm-hmm. finale they're not some of my i know heaven's in is technically part of that but stuff like basically the series 8 finale i watched yeah. that and i go this doesn't feel like it's using her strengths which is these sort of very i just don't think big action wide scope crowd scenes that kind of thing is really where she excels mm-hmm. and i think it's weird that they chose her for star beast and not well beyond her I, I think she does what she does. Like oh, she it's, started, it's, I think it's, it's very it's good. Solid. It's solid. There's nothing wrong like, with it. It just I I do agree that it kind of lacks a sort of where where's the where's the Rachel Tully that we saw in Heavenson? Again, I do like it. I think it's so nice and refreshing to just be able to see what's happening. You know, like wow, David Tennant, he has a body, yeah, not just can, a face. You can you yeah, can actually see, see, yeah. But yeah, I think it's just it's it's very visually nice. You're they're showing off a lot, yeah. like especially that um you know the fight scene. With the the guns, uh, they're cars really exploding, and yeah, yeah. And I like it. I like the fact that you know they've got money. They're showing off the kind of this is what we can do now. I don't know if it's too much. You know, maybe in, if it was two thousand eight again, if that scene would have been shorter and we would have had more time with the doctor and the meep. You know, like I, I would. It's interesting to see how things have changed, but I I, I do I quite enjoy seeing it again i realize i'm not on video i'm nodding furiously <laughs> here i just just say that matthew nods furiously oh yeah no that's one of my biggest starbeast is probably the second worst for it of the three 60th specials and it being misuse of the budget mm. that's something i feel i have had a, a few conversations with people about doctor who and they've always said to me oh i just wish it had you know the budget of of a start of a modern Star Trek show or of a you know sort of American um, cable show like an HBO show or something like that, and I've always said nah, I don't I don't think that works for Doctor Who. I think there is such a thing as not enough budget for Doctor Who. Yeah, you know Underworld like yeah. <laughs> um, and the Merca. You know like there are things where you can have not enough budget, but I think Doctor Who excels, especially New Who, in a place where there's just enough budget to pull it off, but you've got to cut corners, you've got to cut waste. You've got, you've to, got to you've got to be 
economical with your storytelling if you don't need this shot of this if you don't need this explosion there doesn't need to be an explosion if you don't need this fight scene there doesn't need to be this fight scene mm-hmm. i think that's where it works best and something that i i'm slightly worried about for the future and didn't enjoy so much in the four episodes we've had so far of this new year is the sort of misuse of the budget using it to have big battle scenes just not where i i want that to go i think we kind of lost a lot of the personal stakes i think this is more of a problem later so i'll i'll, t- I'll talk about it more in detail then but maybe we, should we go from the start yeah okay should we do this in a, in chronological order through the episode and see is- yeah yeah okay so the start yeah well i mean we, we already said you know Actually, having a shot of the Doctor's full body is a good thing. What What did you think of the reintroduction of Donna? Oh, are we talking about the pre-credit sequence? Oh, oh God! I, I forgot about that. I blanked that from my head. So the way that I've like justified this is the Star Beast. It's a comic book adaptation. I can I can justify this as you know it's the first two pages of a comic book where it's reintroducing. Yeah, where well, you get the square boxes yeah. and it's like once upon a time, Lord. Like, what, what does that even mean? But. I can square off. I think the music is nice. The words are fine. Was it unnecessary? I feel like in the public consciousness, the Doctor and Donna are probably the most popular ones. We all, I mean, a lot of us will remember what happened to them anyway. Even, even is it, is it, you know, necessary when the rest of the episode also tells you the exact same stuff in different scenes? Because that scene with Shirley, where he's like, if she ever sees me again, she will die. Yeah. And you're like, they really do, and that's that's an issue I have with the episode. But they really do hammer home the point of like throughout the episode itself of, you know, if she sees me, she would die. They don't mess about with that, you know. Mm-hmm. I think potentially it's that that came too late. You know, you have the opening where he's like, oh, and he puts the box back on, and you go, well, if this is his old friend, why is he doing that? Mm-hmm. And I think maybe they thought, oh, well, people won't know why he's doing that. Especially, I think that the idea of this for British people. You know, it's. I think they remember that. They know what was going on with Donna, yeah. but I think they were trying. That was maybe a Disney Plus thing, where they went. Where you know, Americans are not necessarily because because Doctor Who was big in America. Mm. It was never as big as it is in the UK, but it was huge. But when it was huge, it was like 2011, 2012, Pete yeah. Tumblr, Series Six, Matt Smith, because that's when it. I mean, that's when the show became Americanized well, for like a season. They did like a season where it was an American TV show where they did the middle, the the mid season gap, yeah. which was dumb but like that was peak and that was after that so i don't know if the americans have as much of that sort of public consciousness of donna and the doctor whether it's necessary or not it just could have been done better be- like you can have a scene where they talk to the and we do a recap fine yeah but why is it a full body shot where he's floating in space <laughs> in a on a green screen you know like just do it do i mean even do it on the green screen do it with the same background same pose same dialogue same delivery just crop it just have it be you know tits up you know it doesn't <laughs> so i like that we've gone oh it's nice to see a full body shot of david Tennant. i know but actually not, though get that defunct. but not when he's not standing on the ground not when he's floating in space you know what i mean i feel like there's definitely a better way to do that even like if you were to, to keep the words and everything just the visuals maybe you don't need to see david and you know you could just work that out better see a pre-credit scene with donna even without the doctor just you know that scene where she's at the table and she's talking to Sylvia and she's like, I think I've forgotten something, you know, something really beautiful. Like you could have something like that. Or even what she says is like, there's something coming. 
which is really good and ominous and never really gets paid off. Yeah. Um. Again, that's a, one of the other reasons I thought there was going to be a through line. She's like, something's coming. And then the doctor was like, if destiny's real, it's coming towards Donna Noble. But by the end of that episode, it's all dropped. That was really just a first episode thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, that's why I was always so, you know, these are, these are definitely connected because why would you have these lines? Why would you set this up? And then, you know, just drop it, especially at the end of the episode. But, the episode quite enjoys dropping things yeah. quickly. So we get in, we get reintroduced to Donna, and then the Meeps spaceship crashes yeah, immediately. So I think it's good that we're straight into it. Yeah. I I think you know, especially when you're talking about it being fifty minutes and not an hour, just get straight into it. There's no need to faff about. But I think it introduces maybe one of my problems with the episode, which is if she sees if she remembers me, she will die. And he did say that. Yeah. But, um, and he did say remembers in the original episode in uh, Journey's End. But um, but then they really hammer home. It's if she remembers and if she sees me, that doesn't necessarily mean she'll remember. Even if she sees me talking to a little alien creature and making shields with my sonic screwdriver. In her living room. In my in my living room, there's explosions, there's flying things. And because you have to remember, we know exactly the kind of thing that can set off yeah, her thing. It, it was the end of time. In the end of time, all it took to set her off was everyone having the face of the master. Which she never met the master. Yeah, and it's not like she knows who he is or anything. It's it was just, just a strange thing. It's just a, a weird thing. All it took was like a weird, unexplainable yeah. thing, and she's scared, and she's like, oh, this is a bit weird. Oh, and now I remember it all. And she meets him in there. And I think that's my that was my biggest problem, is just, we just sat through the whole episode. I really thought he was going to, at least like, she starts to remember and he... Puts get, injects her with something I don't know, and she and, <laughs> he roofies Donna Noble. No, he doesn't roof her. The doctor uses a new sonic screwdriver. But I just think, you know, give us an explicit reason why this is like slow it down. Yeah, because they even do that. She says they say, uh, um, Donna skipping to the end for some reason. Donna um, remembers she she regenerates reg- let's not she regenerates basically um and then she comes out and she does the thing she dies but then she comes back to life cuz it's passed on to her through rose i think that's great i love that it's passed on to her through rose thing yeah, but I, then I so. and then they explicitly say that they will still die both of them it's just that um it's slowed down because there's less energy and it's between the two of them so it is possible that you c- it can be happening and also take a while by slowing it down. So I think I would have preferred, you know, I think I would have it would have been less distracting to me. And I get that I like moments in the episode where she takes the sonic screwdriver and she sort of recognizes. Yeah. And I like those moments, but as a whole, I'm just watching it. What what does it take for her to remember now, she given what we've already seen? Sonic. Yeah, like that that's the easy trigger. Like that's that's a, that it's undeniably a sonic screwdriver. Like despite his new properties um which we can maybe talk about in a second but yeah it's it's very clearly a sonic screwdriver um a brilliant design by the way like it's the, oh, one it's of my favorite sonic toys to just yeah. muck about with um it's There's one so over fun. there I'm, I'm staring at it yeah <laughs> but what do you think about the sonic shields and the screens which Apparently there's a deleted scene that Rachel Clearly was talking about where... He learns that it yeah, exists. Yeah. And I'm really kind of gutted that there's none of that. 
It doesn't explain how he got his clothes or his Sonic. And even in the comic book that is meant to take place before it or the Destination Scarrow uh, comic relief thing, none of it's explained as to how he gets these things. And we just accept it. And that's fine, it's Doctor Who, you can do that. But the fact that he's like, oh, by the way, I can make Sonic Shields now. Like, since when? How? You know? Mm -hmm. I think um, the new TARDIS just sort of appearing with no sort of because obviously previously when the TARDIS has changed it's been a sort of it's been not always a thing especially not in classic mm. the, the first time it was really a thing maybe was the the 20th anniversary TARDIS the five doctor TARDIS because he was like cleaning it and going oh I've I've polished it up or whatever like he acknowledges mm. that it's different um and then it's from then in, in the revival it's always been you know it's a thing like yeah. the TARDIS changing so I was like oh you've changed and I like for that kind of thing of the idea of starting fresh and you're getting the new audiences and just going so this is his TARDIS and I don't mind that the designs for the Meep and the Wraith Warriors beautiful um, yeah absolutely I, I'm beautiful. yeah I'm all for that um, I love the fact that it's like a pub like it's, it's a costume as well as the CG I, in the trailers I, it obviously wasn't you know fully finished yet and I was like ooh I'm not sure but, but no the, mm. the episode completely sold me uh, on the meat. I fucking love that. Where are my plushies? Russell, what the fuck? I think my the fact... Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's happening? Uh, I, I like the fact that the Wrath Warriors are goofy as hell. Like, they, they look so simple. They didn't try and make them look um, modern, really, mm. or uh, sort of like something from something else. They are completely and uniquely... What, what I mean, how they look in the, in the comic, bit of a color scheme because they're just sort of brown, I they're, think. They're kind of, yeah, brownie. Um, so yeah, to give them a bit of color, green, fine, big red eyes, love, love that. Them. They um, feel so, they feel so Doctor Who, yeah, you know they're I mean? so that uniquely is, Doctor Who. That is definitely, if you show me any alien, I'd be like, that mother, that's Doctor Who, in that sort of goofy way. That, uh, yeah, and that, I mean, that that look comes from that lack of budget, yeah, and the, and again, I just think having that budget. In that place worked because you got to properly realize something which still looked a bit goofy. <laughs> but then in, in future, I think you end up, you know, you design something that fits the budget and then it doesn't look. It looks just, I don't know. I just have feelings about Doctor Who and budget. I just think Doctor Who should always be scraping by by the skin of its <laughs> teeth. I know that's a weird thing to say about your favorite, like your favorite show. To yeah. be like, oh, I want this show to just nearly suck, but not quite. Um, but well, you can see the problems of too much budget and all the Marvel films and stuff yeah wow. limitation breeds creativity <laughs> that's to say it's a quote from somewhere I can't remember who said it or if, if it's just like a thing that people say but it is true yeah. if you think about all like I say all the best episodes of RTD and of any run Midnight Blink uh, Turn Left cheap money saving episodes all of them and they're some of the best Dub Every one of those, all three of those are double banking episodes, mm -hmm. like done things done to save money and do two things at the same time, all of them. And they're some of the three best, people consider them like three of the best episodes. Yeah. I think most of them made it onto that list from the magazine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some of those episodes that are on the top are big, you know, uh, high budget episodes like the 50th. Absolutely don't think 50th deserves to be up there, to be honest. It's like, it's fine. It's a good anniversary. I enjoy it. Big movie scale, but it's not the second or whatever it was best yeah. Doctor Who story of all time but I think yeah like and and when you consider it was like Russell got a script for the midnight slot and said nah this is not good enough I don't I'll, I'll, I'll write something in a week it can't cost any money and then you get I think probably to me my favourite episode of Doctor Who of all time damn yeah today <laughs> but, <laughs> but like you know 
that that's what I mean. I think, and Russell especially as a writer works best under restrictions when you yeah. tame him down and and you know you restrict his kind of worst excesses. Which again, we'll get onto in the giggle, but you can see how he is getting. He does get away with himself a little bit. Yeah. So I know we touched on Rose earlier, mm-hmm. but. I'm very, very glad that we got Rose as a character. Yeah. Because it pissed so many people off for the wrong reasons. Absolutely for the wrong reasons. I mean, the fact that you have a trans character on your show is not actively woke. You know, you're not you're not going out your way to be woke. That's just you're having a character on your show. <laughs> many people are trans, that's the truth. And, you know, trans people who maybe aren't out yet need you know, role models and people like everybody needs a role model and, you know, examples of it. And I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. I like seeing all the things that, you know, a lot of Rose's stuff, but the the biggest issue with Rose is we only see like, you know, five, ten minutes of her in total. Um which is a problem, I think, because if if you know, it's a legacy sequel in a in a sense, I want to see more of, you know, the future. I want to see more storytelling. And Rose is that storytelling. I like the things that she does. She makes the little um, uh, plushies and stuff. She should make my, my meat plushies. She should make my meat plushies. <laughs> but, you know, she makes all the plushies. She does all these things. And I like it. But there's only like five, ten minutes of it. I think doing this now, we have the benefit of saying we know now she's going to be in series 14, yeah. definitively. So I think that's good. And I think potentially he said, right, I don't need to stuff her in this episode more than she needs to be because... Sure we are going to see more of her in series 14 and, and we can do that then. But I mean, you're absolutely right. Like it's, it's just one of those things. I mean, she's just a character and I think the, the, they handle the trans aspects beautifully. I think, you know, we, it's not, um, people were like, Oh, you is shoving it in our faces, but it's not a huge part of the episode. It really isn't. Um, she just is. And then some people, or transphobic to her, which is, you know, happens all the time. So it's just, yeah. how, that's just life. It's like, if you went, oh, but these people, why do these people have cars? I'm like, that's because that's just what the world is at the moment. Um, yeah. Russ, as Russell said, it's like a lived experience. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. I don't know if it's always necessary to be like, show the worst parts of it. Yeah. No, I but don't think said that. It is good that I think it's there because it shows those people, what Russell said was, you know, those boys, they might be at home watching Doctor right now and then realize that's wrong you yeah know? again I, it's a platform to uh you know express a better way of living and a better like way of thinking that's what doctor's always been and fuck anybody who says it, it hasn't been yeah and i think there are better people in places than us to talk oh, about sure. the, these places so go and look at those people i can't think of any off the top of my head but <laughs> go in and you know listen to what those people say about it because they are going to have a lot um mm. You know, they're they you should be listening to them. We don't know what we're talking about. Um but I, I I do have to say, and I think this is something that's been echoed by by those people that I'm talking about as well. I think for me, tying the Doctor Donna. The the gender aspects and the sort of um sort of nice gender commentary that's going on into the science fiction storyline. Yeah. is maybe where he went a bit too far. Not like in the sense that it's like, oh, it's walk ruining my sci-fi storyline, just in the sense that it's like, well, it just wasn't necessary. I think it's a bit stupid. See, towards the end, you know, it's like a male presenting Time Lord. You're like, oh, yeah, and I think, shut I think, up. like that's a bad line, Russell. Just cut that, <laughs> not needed. 
it, it, you know, I'm not going to lose sleep over it, but it's, oh, yeah. a, it's a stupid line that I think if it wasn't there, you'd be like, okay, cool. No. Yeah, I mean, there's such a. Th- I think you could do. You could argue. You could level the oh, two white men being like, ah, we didn't like the male presenting Time Lord line. Yeah. But but uh, people who are not white men have said the exact same thing. They're like, it's just a bad line. And I think they're right. It's just it's 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 yeah. kind. Of, it's a. It's not progressive. It's it's weird. Um, I kind of I see what he's doing. Obviously, I think maybe it was just maybe like a tongue in cheek joke. Or yeah, whatever. no, no. I mean, it's clearly a tongue in cheek joke. But, but I just, just it, it doesn't land, especially when the stakes were so high with Dr. Donna, you know, like you were saying, I I completely vibe with the fact that it's split between two people. I think that's amazing. Oh yeah, no, that's good. But I think Russell just tried to be a lot cleverer than he was in that moment. Like his big, big brain. He was like, like the binary, yeah. non-binary thing. That's just not. Don, Donnie is binary, the last thing, and they're non-binary. The idea so... of the doctor being non-binary, I like, that's fine. Like yeah. they, they are, that's not even debatable, but like, but, um, but the, but I don't just get how because uh, Rose is sort of non-binary trans that that somehow makes her more able to contain Time Lord energy. That yeah. doesn't feel. It's like there. It, it kind of puts this uniqueness on that. That's not necessarily true. I mean, there there are probably thousands of alien species out there who have non-binary identities or are all non-binary or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. So why? Oh, he's so clever. Yeah, he's so, so I just clever. I just think that was the that was where he went. Just have the character exist, and they are that. And they deal with that, yeah. and it's part of their story. But it's not it doesn't have to be part of the sci-fi plot. That's a bit of like the fan brain stuff that yeah. we're, you know, it can just be who they are. It doesn't have to be part of the resolution to the plot. It doesn't know? always have to be important. You can be a thing, you know. But it can be important, but not important to the yeah to the plot. Yeah. It can just be an important part of their life. Yeah, because well, it definitely is. An important it can plot. inform decisions they make, which drive the plot. But it to just be basically, it's like the trans is a superpower type thing it's it's the same thing as being autistic as a superpower yeah. or anything like that it's like that's not the i don't think that's the way even activists for those particular causes view that yeah they, they wouldn't want you to do that so yeah i think genuinely like again i wouldn't lose sleep over any of it oh yeah no it's russell going too far but it's just dumb i think that's the important thing it's like you can exi- you can you can enjoy that you can enjoy that stuff and think that was good, okay, and you can dislike that stuff. The problem is the kind of person who dislikes that stuff and it's all they can think about all the time. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Whereas I, I watched that and I went, oh, I'm not a huge fan of that. That was a bit kind of, yeah. And then I went, oh, I've forgotten it now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's the same with... Um, and I'll bring it up if I'm talking about... Like, I'm here having a discussion with you about the episode mm-hmm. with another Doctor Who. I'm not just going to bring it up randomly and be like, that was, so, I hated yeah. that so much. Like, Wokeness is winning. Yeah, it's just, it's, 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 the, it's the liberal agenda. Shut up. Just get a grip, basically. Um, but yeah, I think those are like the most, like the, the talking points, really. Everything else, you know, I enjoyed it. I think it's a fine episode. It's not a reinvention of the wheel as such. Yeah. It's, it very much could be a 2008. It feels like a mid-season, yeah. just a nothing. Well, I, I can really. imagine it was like a season opener. You know, I, I feel like it's effective. Yeah. It made me want to go and watch the rest of them, you know? Like, it did make me go, hell yeah. Okay, Doctor Who, it's back, baby. I guess, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I th- and then I, ju- I think we should maybe speed on to what we're under. But one thing I did just want to say is you were talking a bit about um, the through line and, and all that kind of thing um, and that the, the toy maker should be pulling the strings and I agree with that. And then what I find really odd then is that we have that really clunky bit where the meep says oh. something about the boss. He's yeah. like, wait till I tell the boss. And you're like, oh, right. So the boss, her, uh, the meep's boss is the toy maker. 
you know, that's the setup and mm-hmm. the toy maker has been pulling all these strings. And that's actually, obviously it's a series 14 kind yeah. of into the future reference. And you're like, well, it feels like that should have been the toy maker. The Starby should have been a game. You know, that adventure should the have been Starby's, a game to get the yeah, he, into the, it, the he should, Yeah, basically said, oh, I want Donna back. I've, I brought this doctor back. Let's put him together with this Donna. Let's get, you know, let's, because I really thought that Russell was going to use the toy maker and these characters coming back as a commentary on nostalgia yeah. and as a kind of critique of nostalgia and, and how the nostalgia can be weaponized against you and it does, he just didn't really do that and i think i was a bit disappointed about that the tardis the tardis my only issue with this tardis is the fact that it's there so early you know you, you touched on it earlier i feel like if the doctor and donna went into jody's tardis right and then they had a cup of coffee jody uh, donna spilt it on jody's tardis and that's why it changed. It does seem like the perfect place to do yeah. to put that to um because then in- But I get again not wanting to Jody I mean they physically couldn't have done that because Jody Sardis had been taken down by the point that that they started filming this. Um so they couldn't have done that. But I, I also think maybe they shouldn't have done that. I, I'm just thinking again about like that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And again, I think I think it would be very funny. I just think you know, I liked the throwing the coffee on the console gag and it spinning them out of control. But just have it spin them out of control. What I found again, budget. See blowing the TARDIS up like that felt so like because that does feel like they've blown the TARDIS up and it comes back and it's just fine. It would be very funny. And I know yeah. it's repairing, but every time we've seen it repair before, it's always comes out a different thing. Yeah. Um it would have been so funny if in like the end of Wildly Yonder it's like a new target. Yeah. Obviously they wouldn't do that. Like and I think I think that's well. exactly why they didn't do it. On top of Jody Sarge's not existing anymore. Yeah. Also, if you're a new viewer, if you come into this episode and go, Oh wow, look, here's the TARDIS. Although why you'd want to put the ugliest TARDIS in the world at the end of your uh brand new big expensive episode. Um but yeah, if you did come in, you go, oh, look, here's the TARDIS. I've, I've, I'm learning what this looks like. I'm introduced to this concept. She's throwing the coffee on. Oh no, it's blowing up. And then the next one, there's just a new one. You'd be like, you'd feel like, you you feel then the presence of the history of the show. Which, which is good though, because that's, I feel like that is a reason for the 60th anniversary special. It is a bit like, yeah, because I think they were trying to avoid that mm-hmm. to allow new viewers to come in. But the 60th is a weird place to do that when you're, when you have a previous doctor and a previous man and it's all about where did this face come from yeah. it's been the past everything basically is from the past and mel comes back as well mel comes back and there's no real explanation of who mel is yeah there's no like well, oh this is my previous companion um he literally just says mel and she goes daughter and, and then they go we'll talk about it later yeah if you're a new viewer watching it you go oh, what the fuck is that it's a weird place it's a weird jumping on point. It's, it's a difficult question to answer for me, I I I don't mind them going straight into the new TARDIS. Mm-hmm. I just mind the ferocity with which the TARDIS explodes at the end of the episode. I think just have it go out of control, a little spark maybe. Yeah. It doesn't have to erupt into flames, and there's like extra CG flames as well as the practical mm-hmm. flames. It's like it doesn't have to do that. I think it can just. I get it's funny, but but just have it go out of control. I think that's funny enough, and it takes them wherever well blue yonder. They step out. the The door maybe just locks itself, and it yeah. buggers up. Like it can, because it it buggers off because of the hads. Yeah. So just, I get they want to do. They come out. They go back. Then the hads. Then they're like, now we're stuck. This is not good. But like, they could arrive wherever, and the TARDIS it won't go or something. They just say, oh, well, it won't go. So we'll go and have a look around. Maybe see why it won't go. Hads, and the story is exactly the same for Webley Yonder. Yeah. 
that's just my feeling on it. I don't mind that we see the new TARDIS immediately. I just it just blows up too much. What about the what new about TARDIS? the new TARDIS? I fuck it. I love it. I think it's possibly like maybe it's my second favorite new TARDIS design. I don't know if Capaldi's is still higher. I just certainly with Shooty in it and all the colors that he's already had into it. I think oh, it's so much better with the color yeah, undeniable. I think it definitely like puts it up there. I'm not sure if it's my favorite, but man, I love it. I love the scope and the scale and the fact that David just ran straight around it. Like, brilliant. I just, I like it. It's not my favorite. I don't love it as much as most people do, I don't think. Not, I think, again, you're right. When it was white, yeah. Uh, colors, yes. For me, there's two things I don't like about it. Like, really don't like. I think it could be smaller hot take but for i think it's just a bit too big especially when it's all and this ties into my first thing i don't like it's all dead space there's nothing in it it's far too sparse and i get that he's just got it but when they introduced capaldi's tardis there was just stuff in it and we went okay that's fine and i, I know that was technically already there but whatever um you know it's just too sparse for me and mm-hmm. from the shots we've seen of it in the trailers for series 14 it's still sparse like, if they filled it up, I'd be like, okay, but it still looks sparse. It's difficult as well because they can't really fill it up like they did Capaldi's because there aren't, like, walkways. It's yeah. More just it's lights. all... You have to go through the stuff that's filled up to get yeah. to stuff. Um, and I think it just feels too sparse and too... It, it just doesn't give the vibes of TARDIS that I like. I like a sort of cosy, homey TARDIS, mm-hmm. I think. This sort of... Um, it's just... For, it, budget it's too big i don't know i just feel like it's too big that's my that's my thing one too big too sparse thing two the console it's a little ugly it's a little ugly it's too betty yeah if they're trying if they're trying to harken back to the original which i feel like they are it's very you know it's white roundels mm-hmm. everything's kind of white it's very stat it's very original tardisy um, well, sort of hellbent original Tardisy, which I think let's not talk about that. Um, but it they're trying to harken back to that, but then the console so just have flat white things. Maybe it's glass under like the 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 way the Matt Smith Tardis did it. Of it was a flat sheet, so you could just put things on it, but it was glass and there was light behind it and stuff. Yeah. Love that. Um, but I just think it should be because because I just feel like I I'd, I'd miss the buttons all the time. There's nowhere to put your hands because it's like, it's all tech and then the buttons are on plinths almost from what yeah. it looks like. It's all very bitty and disconnected and I'm not a huge fan of that. And the other thing about it that I don't like is it's fucking dirty <laughs> and I don't know why it's dirty. Everything in the rest of the TARDIS is sheet white. It's really bright. It's totally clean. If you actually look at the console... It's dirty, like it's got a little brown. It's it's like weathered. Yeah. And I saw that, and I immediately went, "This doesn't fit the aesthetic at all." If it gets weathered over time, fine. Yeah, it makes sense. And with with the rest of the space as well. But the fact that the it's this huge, everything's so clean, and then in the middle there's this to me really dirty looking console, and ever and then the the buttons themselves are like gunmetal sort of grey. I do feel like there's a lack of color on that TARDIS, like especially like. There's not enough levers or buttons. I feel like there's just a lack of colour on the actual console. I'm just like not it. a huge fan of it. I like it, but it's it'll take some time to grow on, I think. Like definitely, like, even Capaldi's, it took time for me to grow on it. Nothing's going to be 
the McGann TARDIS. That's the truth. Well, nothing. It does actually have a bit of the McGann TARDIS that I hate. You know, the McGann TARDIS has the little bit that sort of comes out and then it's flat. Yeah. I hate that bit. And it has a sort of similar thing where it's really quite wide at the bottom. Yeah. And I, oh God, I hate that. But that's, you know. So basically, I hate the new. No, I don't hate it. I think it's it's much better than the Jodie TARDIS. It's much better than the Teal uh, Capaldi monstrosity. Uh, I think for me, it's better than the 2000, the reboot of 2005 TARDIS, the Coral TARDIS. Um, but I'd, it's not like up with my favourites. That's fair. I think it's definitely valid. Thank you for listening to part one of this three-part Blue Boxed special. This episode was mixed and edited by Matthew, with music by Robbie Gillen, and produced by Matthew Lyon and Rayleigh Morgan.